All right, welcome back into Prime Suspects for your weekly insider's look behind the counter of Prime Sports. Alongside Joe Brennan Jr. and Adam Bjorn, I'm your host, Matt Landis. And guys, Super Bowl week is upon us, so let's get to it, kicking things off with our first segment, the latest from inside Prime Sports. Joe, I saw that you posted on Twitter late last week, Prime offering 420 markets for the Super Bowl beyond the side total and money line. Adam, I'll use that as a jumping off point to loop you into this conversation because when I hear that volume of bets being offered at Prime, a nice departure for some bettors, I'm sure, from the typical steak and potatoes approach. When I've connected with sharp bettors, specifically for this Super Bowl betting cycle, they've spoken of trying to get down on some rarely offered props in the Super Bowl. So things like Mahomes passing yards, Kelsey receiving yards, Christian McCaffrey rushing yards, those will be popular among the betting public. But these are also numbers that have been posted pretty much all season long, largely a solved equation. But if we're talking things like number of receptions for a team's fourth wide receiver or the distance of each team's longest punt or the number of sacks recorded specifically by the 49ers, these are the kind of props that a lot of pros I know are kind of licking their chops with. So what would you say is Prime Sports' point of view to offering and managing risk for props like this when we're talking 420 options beyond a spread total and money line? Yeah, well, this is where some of our uh, proprietary tools come in place. Where we, you know, some auto moves, some uh, risk management protection, because you can't monitor all that stuff. And again, you have house limits. I think a lot of them are, even if they're 250 or $500 limits, everybody's getting those limits. So ideally, you know, one gets, someone gets a pop and then it moves, they can have a pop and they can pop that thing all day long until, you know, a trader intervenes or something else happens. But generally this stuff, the idea again is just throw it all up. You're going to have people coming to try and poke out your eyes and, you know, get what they can. But that's just part of the game. That's why we're here. It's customer acquisition. It's, you know, come on and get some, and then we'll work out where to go from there. So far is, you know, a few nips and naps there and taking little bits and pieces, but nothing, nothing major. I mean, on the game, it's for all the reports, it seems like most of the money's on Kansas City, which is the side I'd want to be on in this game. This, this feels like a picket game, could go either way. And just see what happens, you know, who scores first and then play it from there and play. Well, Joe, I know that the first topic, not as much in your wheelhouse as the second topic, we'll jump into Prime Sports far from alone in giving special treatment to the Super Bowl. You know, it's a nicer way to say that, Matt. You know, like, okay, I get it. I don't have Adam's big betting brain, but, you know, it's like I'm not throwing darts at fucking lottery tickets here either, you know. I want to give us your two cents on Prime branching out from the usual steak and potatoes approach and offering such an expansive menu is Adam just touched on. Go ahead. Anything to add to that end? I'm very disappointed that we don't have the Taylor Slip lipstick color prop. I really think that we, when we talk about acquisitions, you know, those Swifties, just imagine the soft action that those guys could represent for us globally. I'd give an endorsement contract to both of them. <laughs> I think that's something to throw in there that all these states have their different catalogs, different rules. Um, you know, we ran into something on the weekend that's, you know, the availability across different states is, you know, makes it interesting. And then guarantee you by Thursday or Friday, we'll know what halftime first song is, last song, and, you know, you'll start to see movement in those things. None of those things we are offering in Prime Sports in Ohio because the catalog doesn't take cater to it. Again, once you know the rules of the game, play within them and you just provide what you can uh, within the scope. All right. And guys, on that note, let's jump over to our water cooler segment. Prime Sports, far from alone in giving special treatment to the Super Bowl this week. 
60 Minutes and ESPN's Outside the Lines aired features on sports betting leading up to the week of the big game. And full disclosure here, for my part, I haven't seen either feature yet. I probably spent more time searching for Outside the Lines features on ESPN's app as well as their YouTube channel than it took them to produce the content in the first place to no avail. But from what I've heard thus far, trying to read other people's comments who have taken a look at this, a bit of a focus on responsible gaming and how sports betting is marketed as a whole. Joe, I'd love to get your thoughts here. What do you think this says about America's attitude toward sports betting right now, particularly when it comes to possibly changing attitudes with regard to responsible gambling and how betting gets marketed? The, the obvious backlash to the initial big wave when the industry first opened up post-PASPA. I'm on record many times as saying that being involved with the lobbying effort, we never spent much time at all thinking about like the advertising, the marketing piece, simply because casinos were already, casinos and lotteries were really tightly uh, regulated as far as how they can advertise. So it was, we expected that betting was going to be regulated just the same. And when it wasn't, wow, I, I'm with those who say it's gotten out of hand. I really do think they have to dial it back in. It would be great if they could exercise some restraint or the states can pull there because the bad thing for the industry is going to be if this does make it up to Capitol Hill in DC and you start heading towards federal regulation. I mean, conditionally, I might be in favor of it. It was limited to that. But as soon as you start opening the gaming law Pandora's box, bad things can happen. It's an opening for everybody from like the leagues to other constituencies to get in there and try fee hunt, try and money hunt for things when we already have pretty tight margins and, and people just don't understand the economics of this business. But besides that, the one thing I will say that I'm also in agreement is that responsible gaming, gambling addiction, things like that, they have to be taken very seriously. But I think thus far, you know, the RG efforts that you see are actually looking through the wrong end of the telescope. You know, I saw on a couple of the, particularly the uh, 60 Minutes piece and some of the reporters around it talking about how gambling addiction has comorbidity with things like alcoholism and drug addiction. But it, it really, that's, and I say this as somebody who has in their extended family, people I, who he loves that are addicts. Okay. Uh, so this is quite a personal issue for me. And rather than looking at our phones or looking at sports books, or other things as sources of addiction. What we have to realize is, is that two to 3% of the people who we live with are addicts. They're predisposed towards addiction. And it doesn't matter if it's gambling, drugs, alcohol, sex, religion, and other things. It's a mental health issue first and foremost, before it's a specific instance, like specific format of addiction. And if one positive comes out of this backlash slash overreaction to it, in addition to trying to get control of the advertising, which has gotten out of hand, it's let's take a more serious and appropriate look at addiction and how we can intervene with players who have a problem and get them the help that they need rather than just giving it short shrift or thinking that if we do away with smart app, if we do away with apps on smartphones and things like that, we're going to solve the problems of addiction. We're not. A follow-up there, something that I've heard from a lot of bettors is frustration with the fact that if you're showing signs of winning or even have a decent chance at winning in the future, there's a good chance that you'll get limited in no time at a lot of books. And if it looks like you're going to be a book's best customer and lose a lot of money to them, 
limits are never going to be a concern. So it seems to be a one-way street almost headed in the wrong direction when it comes to limiting how much people can get down at thinking of things from the lens of responsible gambling. What do you think could be done across the industry to better rein things in? To your point, Joe, trying to look at it perhaps through the right end of the telescope, what do you think can be done differently so that whether you're a winner or not a winning better, but just to make sure long-term overall, the population at large is being served in the best possible way? You can't do KYC and you can't do vectoring. You can't do all these things one time, you know, like when the player signs up or when the player first deposits or on first withdrawal. You should be actively monitoring to see, and you should be surfacing these things, okay? Not just collecting data. You should be surfacing it so you can see, you have a good view of your players. Is somebody suddenly going on tilt? You know, somebody was betting $100 a day and then suddenly they're betting 1000 10000 whatever it may be, and then they do it in a way. There's things that you can look at just like you can look at vectoring in credit card, not like these are not new things. It's already done in other industries with the financial data that's available to be able to intercede with people who are either for either fraud or things like that. So doing the same thing with our industry and obviously making it also for the operator cost effective to do so instead of it using it as an opportunity to gouge the operators for fees and things like that. But doing those things, but also at the same time, taking maybe our approach which is when everybody has, you know, we have a house max available limit on a bet. If anybody wants to be able to wager at a higher, higher level, we scrutinize that person. We don't just say like, okay, you know, $10,000 limits, we're going to take you up to 20. Like we don't just do that. We look at the person. You, you have to be a bit more, I think, manual and responsible in these things than maybe the current market leaders are being. Okay. I know they've mentioned that they're looking, you know, like Entain's made investments in AI. If anything, that as a side note, those pieces made AI like that should have had a bingo card out, like Boogeyman is AI or personalized offerings, like personalization and machine learning. And God, we've had those for a decade or more in this industry. So it's kind of BS, but I think there's going to have to be more hands-on and as an element of service, people have to look at their players as their flock. And they have to be good shepherds. And if they're not going to be good shepherds, then, you know, hopefully the market punishes them for that and the regulators too. Adam, I'd like to bring you back in on this topic for a moment, because as Joe was speaking to betters being able to request higher limits than what's posted, but being heavily scrutinized before anything is agreed upon, I thought of how often on this show, if I'll turn to you for risk management, it might be risk management protecting Prime Sports's bottom line. At the same time, when you think of risk management, is there anything that you ever take into account when considering anything along the lines of responsible gambling or not just protecting Prime's bottom line, but also protecting your customers? Not so much. Uh, I'm a little bit more flippant on this topic. Each to their own. Adults look after themselves and all that fun stuff. While it is part of the regulatory basis now, we do look at it a lot closer. Um, like Joe said, you can have players that are generally $10 betters or $100 betters or posited you know, four or 500 a week for a football season. And then suddenly it's four or 5,000. So you monitor those for multiple reasons, responsible gaming, possible chargeback, all those added things. I think the main aspect of it is the way that so many are very predatory towards the losing player versus very restrictive versus the player that has a chance. And I know in Australia, they did some hearings last year where that was very much brought forward. Um, attacking, you know, the operators of being one way 
with the losers and another way with the winners. Ultimately, the UK going down this path of destroy their industry. Grey market betting in the UK is higher than I think ever before. Australia is heading in the same direction. So there's very much a balance of the whole thing of what you should go after, what you shouldn't go after, bringing in minimum bet limits and all these other things to put the onus on the operator actually doing their job and doing real risk management rather than just being predatory towards the guaranteed losers versus the ones that are, you know, even the ones losing anywhere between 1% and 3% uh, are often kicked out very quickly. A couple of examples recently, you know, internally, we had someone mention that for, say, player databases, 8% limited. If you actually went into that and really did it through real customer profiling, you'd probably get that down to 15 or 2%. And then I just happened to be in a meeting this week with a real-world example of group got a database it was about 14 percent limited and they got that down to like one and a half 1.3 so again it's just putting work into it for both sides of it and making it fair to both sides ultimately is the is the answer for me and adam as you touch on the gray market i think that gives us a nice segue into our final segment because while talk around responsible gambling and the way that sports betting gets marketed is naturally hitting its apex as we approach the super bowl it's also time for a lot of us to get ready for life after football. And to that end, in a forward-looking sense, I'd like to touch on GeoComply last week calling on the federal government to combat offshore gambling. And I know that something that's been a recurring theme on this show has been Prime's mission to bring money from the unregulated market to a regulated market. But something tells me it's not as simple as just asking the feds to crack down on offshore activity. So, Joe, let's kick it off with you here. What would you say are some of the pros and the cons for the case against unregulated betting moving forward? It's really not for me to say simply because, I mean, the law of the land, I mean, the, the U.S. Department of Justice, the attitude that they take is, is that offshore sports books are violating U.S. law. I don't think I can make much of a pro argument there. I think, though, that when you have Amy Howe, FanDuel, or the AGA and others or geo-comply telling U.S. law enforcement to step up their efforts against offshore gambling, it's pointless. It's performance. I'm sure with geo-comply issuing this, I'm sure the Department of Justice loves hearing from a Canadian company about how the U.S. law enforcement should be approaching this issue. This industry, the regulated industry, is its own worst enemy when it comes to offshore gambling. If they offered a product that was competitive to offshore, weren't screwing customers by limiting them or kicking them out when they're winners and things like that. If they offered the product that people are going offshore to find, it's not like there's not a huge goal. Okay. And they have it within their resources to do it. Right. FanDuel, DraftKings, all the other guys, they have the resources to be able to service that customer. They don't want to service that customer. They want that customer to come to them on bended knee on their terms, the way they do business. And they want the method of doing that is for the Justice Department to shut it down. Justice Department's got a lot going on. Justice Department, as far as I know, has never lacked with vigilance over every opportunity to try and pop the offshore betting industry. But the fact that in all but two states in this country, it is not illegal for an individual to place a bet, okay? Regulated or unregulated. So if the offshore sports books are at arms remove and they're not going to go after players because they can't, nobody's going to pass a law to target players, then the only way to do it is organically is to pull those players back in, attract them back in. There's ways of doing it. 
you know, being able to bet good old fashioned greenbacks, you know, cash instead of having convert to crypto, things like that. Things don't often go for the players when it comes to disputes with sports books, but at least they have a chance versus, you know, maybe not so much in the offshore. There's reasons to do this, but asking the U.S. government to go out and solve the problem. I've been around this for over 25 years and they've done a lot of damage to the offshore industry. They've made it very difficult for them to operate, but the best way to turn the lights off out there is to do a better job of servicing that customer. Don't give them an excuse to go offshore. And Adam, I would imagine that you largely agree with Joe's comments there. Correct me if I'm wrong on that assumption. But even if we're to think that, okay, with all this in mind, it's unlikely that some sort of major offshore crackdown is coming anytime soon, that could be a non-zero chance. So all things considered, is there anything that you think offshore bettors should be doing right now or considering doing in the near-term future to protect themselves? Not so much. Again, it's the operators. My mantra when I met with 200 plus regulators in October in Botswana was growth over enforcement. Build the product. It's not that hard to beat out what the offshore is. You know, I always laugh at that because a lot of those offshore companies have actually redirected their energies and they're in Latin America and they're in other countries. For me, being American, not living in the US, these weren't offshore companies. These were just available sports books that were available to everyone else in the world within certain jurisdictions. So I think a lot's made of this. When I first come to this side of the world, you know, they had just pre-2001. And then when they went to all these wars, that was my thing was, why don't they just legalize sports betting and tax it? Well, 17 years later, they ended up doing it. Again, growth over enforcement. They've tried to stop things for many years all around the world. And right now, in my opinion, gray is growing at a faster rate than ever before. So concentrate on your own backyard, build the product, be competitive, and meet with the regulators and speak with the regulators with getting some of these things available. I know credit for sports betting or or gambling is, but it's offered all around the world. It's no different than other aspects of it. Crypto is real. It's very easy to use. It's very, very trackable with the right tools. You know, you can see flows three, four, five, six steps back. Companies are out there today. So you can really check if where the source of funds is and things like that. And making that available, even on small limits, is advancements towards growth versus enforcement. It's not really that hard. It's just that everyone likes to make it so hard and look at it in a negative way rather than building the positive. Yeah, just really quickly jump in on what Adam was saying. Like one of the best ways to also do this is not just limits, product, or anything like that, but you go to the player where they're at. And a great example is what Adam was just talking about with crypto because crypto has become so dominant offshore here over the last you know five, 10 years. Regulators, states being open to allowing players to deposit and transact in crypto, you know, without forcing them to convert prior to getting into a depositing with the sports book would be a great way of attracting additional players and liquidity from the offshore world. And as Adam said, the irony is, is that people think that Bitcoin crypto is untraceable and everything anonymous and all like, what is the mo- what a gag. It's the most traceable form of currency that we've right? So I think it's an excellent opportunity to both improve KYC AML in the industry while drawing a ton of liquidity in if regulators will give us the opportunity. All right. Well, we had curiosity over judgment on a recent episode, courtesy of Adam. And today's theme can be growth over enforcement, if you will. So whether you're listening offshore or domestically, we appreciate you making us a part of your week. 
as we hit the home stretch here, I want to remind everybody to register for Prime Sports at primesports.com. Download the Prime Sports app. Follow Prime Sports on Twitter at Prime Sportsbook, where we welcome you to message us with any questions or segment ideas. Follow Joe at Joe Brennan Jr. and follow Adam at Adam Bjorn 2. You can find links to all of the above in the show notes. Last but not least, thank you everyone for listening. Enjoy Super Bowl Sunday. Best of luck with any bets this weekend. And we'll see you next week right back here on Prime Suspects. You must be 21 or over to play on Prime Sports. Always bet responsibly and within your limits. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Prime Suspects.